it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, we've got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star, Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality, Bruce Wirtz. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirtz, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum, The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Why, a hello and a howdy. We're so very glad to see you. Folks, we're getting kind of rowdy and we got a lot to say. And we're going to try and do our very best to entertain you. And we hope you'll be delighted by the time you go away. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Thank you, broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome. On this Wednesday where some of us really realized that we were being conned. And most of us went, ah, H.I.S.C. Talk Radio. In a world where Alexa Bliss and the Hurt Business are the best things things going on Raw, in my opinion. And the rest of it's kind of, eh. Unfortunately, Asuka had to get the shaft. But uh, I still like watching Asuka. Uh, Asuka? Asuka? Wow, Asuka. But still, Alexa Bliss, love what they're doing with that. I love what they're doing with her and I love the Hurt Business the rest of it oh boy it got let me just say I'm Dan Calchico Dan Lally 3 Craig Legons is here Craig Legons even VOC Nation um, Twitter account put out a poll on what you thought of Raw and it was something 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 or Rawful and I was like hey but uh Somebody pointed out, and I agreed that, you know, Alexa Bliss aside, mm-hmm. which I agree, highlight the Hurt Business is fantastic. And other than that, the right, I just, it's so hard right now. I'm still trying to support, but, you know, with all the other things, you know, mm-hmm. it's the WWE, but it's like, you know, but the writing is, the writing and the camera stuff just doesn't keep me invested, Lionel. Of course not. With the Hurt Business and Alexa Bliss. Yeah, that's it. And um, the uh, apparently Dick Byer, the Destroyer, has returned in the form of Randy Orton. Because when I looked at him wearing that mask, I just saw the the late great uh, the Destroyer, single white mask with the line down the middle. And I, I get what they're they're doing with 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 Randy. I didn't get last week's ending with the flame th- the the flamethrower that apparently came out of Alexa Bliss's hands, and now I understand that it, that it took more than one take to do that because there were two different camera angles. Uh, I I point out that uh, I point this out only because there's a way to do that, and it's been done in professional wrestling for many years, uh, perfected by the late great original Sheik, but. Uh, Jim Cornette burned Ronnie Garvin uh, with a fireball to the face in 1986, and he did it in a live arena uh, with one camera and one take. I I, I know this is going to uh, – I think this might offend the old school wrestling, but you'll trust me. You'll take my word for it. Mm-hmm. The one, I swear I will find the footage. The best one I've ever seen in person 
mm-hmm. uh, was a couple of years ago at Nova Pro mm-hmm. when uh, uh, Angelus Lane chucked one at the promoter. Flawless. Yeah. Hand went back. Hand went out. Big flame came out. Knocked mm-hmm. him in the face. There's a great picture of Mike getting right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there you get Thank you. Jerry Lawler did it too. One to Andy Kaufman. Um, yes, he did. Throwing the fire. And but when uh, when Cornette did it, and the the result, um, Ronnie Garvin has a stone was burned, and it was such an effect that not only did it get the Midnight Express over more more as heels, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, who was the number one heel in the territory, he turned face because he revealed that he and Ronnie Garvin were brothers. So then, so now Jimmy Garvin's a face. The Midnight Express had make it healed. Ronnie Garvin had his face burned, and Jim Cornette was getting death threats. Okay, after he's that. still getting death threats. He's still getting death threats, but after that, it was. I don't think Alexa Bliss got any death threats no. for burning Randy Orton on a camera stunt that um, had to be reshot or done by different angle. Can Can I be honest for a second? Please be honest. Be Amish first. Can, in the grand scheme of things, I, we're not going to see eye to eye with the take thing. I don't agree with it during a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Like we, I, I'll go back to Edge and Randy Orton, where Edge got hurt and they had to do a different take, and that's what got him hurt. Yeah, not cool. No segments like this counts as a segment, so extra takes fine. Mm-hmm. Only because there's no audience. Yeah, I'm 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 not critiquing. I understand where you're coming from. Not negate what you're saying. I'm just I'm going to add to it and say, yeah. For this point in time, until people can come back in the, I think as long as it's a segment and not a match, mm-hmm. I'm totally cool with different takes, because unless you told me, I wouldn't have known, and I thought it looked fine. Yeah. Uh, but then I immediately flash back to Hogan and Warrior uh, Two. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween Havoc. Lock it up. Oh, gee. Would you like me? That was, can we agree that wasn't the worst? That's why I blocked it out. Oh, my God. For those who don't know, uh, Craig, ignore me for just like 20 seconds. Done. For those who don't know, so Warrior and Hogan to uh, Halloween Havoc 98. Now, let's preface this by saying this is why we lost probably watching the Master of the Year live. Because Hogan and Warrior and other stuff, but Hogan and Warrior went so damn long, mm-hmm. um, it, the pay-per-view cut right after the entrance of DDP and Goldberg. So they're wrestling. <laughs> I rewatched it recently. It's like two minutes of Hogan trying to get this flash to work to the point where he gives up, pulls the plastic bag out with the flash in it, pulls it out, and just just doing this on mother fuck god damn it and just throws the paper you see him just go throw the paper in there and then it misses by about a mile and a half <laughs> so any fireball including the Alexa Bliss uh, multi-take one is gonna look <laughs> great to me <laughs> I just keep seeing that thanks Holster thanks Tear Oh, uh, Craig, back to you. Anyway, um, <laughs> camera, we, were, um, Alexa, we were on Jerry Lawler and uh, and Andy Kaufman. Um, okay. And well, fire being thrown in professional wrestling is a time honored tradition. And one of my very original point was when it when done well and done like that, it doesn't there doesn't need it doesn't need to be a flame like she that Alexa has the ability to shoot to shoot flames out of her hands. It can just be a simple thrown fire flash paper, and you can have the same desired effect. Imagine if she selects a breeze fire now. Oh, no. One of her mutations was fire. Oh, God. Uh, and <laughs> now she's apparently superhuman, or when the lighting changes in the arena, she's impervious to pain, and she can block all of Alex- all of Oscar's kicks, and Oscar's afraid of her all of a sudden. 
which takes the edge off of her, makes her look weak, which you should never do since she's a world champion. She's a double champion. This is the same woman who's undefeated for two years, and now she can't beat a one. Imagine she's scared of a woman who's actually shorter than her. I didn't think that was physically possible to begin with, but yeah, she's afraid of a voodoo doll or a mini Harley. And but I, I obviously I know where it's going, but it's, I mean they're leading up to Alexa versus Oscar for Royal Rumble. But um, and yeah, I'm the, so happy about that. The eventual return of the fiend. It's just uh, it it didn't do anything for me. I'd uh, rather talk about the hurt business. Uh, the thing is, I I hope they keep this uh, the Cedric Alexander turn till after. Royal Rumble or towards WrestleMania, obviously it's what they're they're gearing towards, and and maybe an, an eventual Cedric Alexander uh, heavyweight uh, United States title run against Bobby Lashley, since Bobby's running out of opponents right now, but because uh, right now they are the best thing on WWE as far as tag team, as far as the stable, as if concerned. yeah, they are the best in all of. You know, even AEW, which is all stables all the time, um, the Hurt Business is far and away the best thing on either show, on Raw or SmackDown or or NXT. They're approaching – they could approach um, Undisputed Era territory as long as they have a long reign and the four of them stay together. Obviously, they're – you know, we're seeing the cracks with Cedric being the the, – the independent one and wanted the spotlight for himself and running with the ball and all that. Uh, we obviously see where it's going, but they need to, they can't pull the trigger on that too fast. They've got to remain champions for past Royal Rumble going towards WrestleMania. Cause I really, I really feel, especially with this current administration that by WrestleMania season, at least, we are going to see some live crowds return. That's what, uh, this, that's what I was about to say. Mm-hmm. And I know they won't. But mm-hmm. I, part of me is really hoping Drew McIntyre with the title, that, that everything mm-hmm. holds fast until you can at least put people there to react to it. Yeah. Please. Especially please. with the... With I the- swear to God... Mm-hmm. If Drew drops to Goldberg, I I don't know what I'll do. I don't no. I don't know what I'll do. It works to their advantage to keep every because the especially with the work they've been doing, Drew and the Herb business, these guys deserve a crowd. So there's no there's you're not taking anything away from anyone if you're by taking the belt off of them or having a, a title change, especially not now. I understand the 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 impetus to, to do that. Because that would mean a title change would mean ratings, more people are looking. Because less people are looking now than ever before. You would think with the pandemic, we've got no choice but to watch wrestling, since we can't attend it live. But um, so we'll give them a title change that'll get the people watching or something big. But you don't need to do that. Uh, the ratings are going to be what they are until there's live crowds back. Uh, so yeah. in the meantime, you keep everything on hold, press pause, still give great matches, get competitive matches, but these guys going over, especially Drew over Goldberg and Hurt Business and Bobby Lashley keeping their titles through WrestleMania, the longer they're champions, the more over they're going to be. As long as you give them, you you make stuff mean something. So that doesn't mean pinning the title, pinning the champions in non-title matches. It means them going going through everyone, everyone you put in front of them. Make it make sense. Make it mean something. And by WrestleMania, you will have when the crowds come back, you will have over champions. You have an over stable. You will have a dominant world champion in Drew McIntyre. And you don't have to do the the AEW thing. Make every every match like go twenty five, twenty six minutes or whatever, or take it through three segments, beat guys in a way that makes you make, believe, okay, well, these guys are really good. You don't have to make everyone, like, on your level. I just watched, I kept, the reason why I'm not looking at you, um, our HIAC talk radio fans, because I've got AEW on, and it's switching back and forth to NXT, 
every AEW match, no matter who it's with, I just watched uh, Cody Rhodes go 25 minutes with some dude from the audience. Got the he looks like uh, Luigi from uh, Mario Kart, but he's always been in the audience, and he's always been like a throwaway character. And Dust Cody just went 20 minutes with him. That couldn't have been a five-minute match. That couldn't have been. That, will that take away from? Wouldn't that establish Cody as more of a a badass, a guy on his way back to regaining the TNT Championship? Nope. Gotta get everybody's got to go 20 minutes. F, last week, FTR went what through three segments with Jungle Boy and Marco Stunted Growth. Really? Hey, 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 hey! I resemble that. But, Dan, if you're in the ring with them, I'm not expecting you to go 20 minutes with FTR. Oh, no, I'm dead. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Why isn't this guy dead? <laughs> so, and, and that's all I'm saying. Keep the belt on, on those guys. Saying. And, yes. Make it make sense. I, I'm not you, – you, if you, you're telling me Marco Stump being in there with FTR and they have to sell for this clown, for this fidget, doesn't make me want to – you know, and the, this is the best tag team on earth, and they have to sell for that – Piece of crap. If it was Jungle Boy and and you know and Dinosaur Man, Stegosaurus or whatever the hell his name is, that would make because you have a big guy. You have you bring Jungle Boy to get in all the bumps, and the big guy comes in to do cleanup work. after tag team match, but Jungle Boy and Peter Dinklage. No, I'm not buying that. Damn, dude. Doesn't make sense. He has no business being in professional wrestling. I'm not even apologizing. Well, I didn't ask you to. Good but it's good because I didn't ask. <laughs> no, but that's the only that's the, the only thing that's worth talking about in uh, wrestling this week. Uh, obviously, we have to to deal with the health crisis. Hopefully, uh, Drew McIntyre will be uh, able to return. Um, obviously, he'll be okay for by uh, by January by um, the Royal Rumble. Um, yeah, he's going to return next week, isn't he? Okay. I was going to say, I don't expect that he doesn't have, even have to be on TV. He doesn't have to, I mean, sorry. He doesn't have to be on Monday Night Raw next week is what I'm saying. I'm just keep him out. Maybe we well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm stuck when he's uh, coming back. I thought it was coming back next week. Or... Okay. And is, it ne- is Rumble next week or the week after? I thought it was not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. Oh, yeah, so I assume he'll be back the Sunday prior. Okay, I'd say leave him out. And just have yeah, well, I say leave him out until the damn match happens. Yeah, don't even travel. Damn it. Because I still believe he got it from one of the legends or from one of the people traveling in just for that no. one-off show. No. Yeah. No, whatever do you mean? I'm, I mean they uh, brought in a whole bunch of uh, very old, very susceptible people to a deadly plague. And they brought him into a enclosed space for anywhere between ten and thirty seconds, just long enough to infect all the people that haven't been traveling and have been quarantined. And what do you know? One of them gets sick, and it just happens to be your world champion. We all have it figured out. You know what I'm saying? That's how I feel about that. Sorry, I'm late. I was part of the bliss. I was part of a bliss circle. I was part of a bliss circle. Oh, January 31st is coming back. Oh, oh, good. That's your our roving reporter, Danny. Thank you, Danny. Hello, wrestling fans, and you are wrestling fans if you're listening to this podcast, because now is the point of the episode of this podcast where I actually talk about wrestling. About stuff that happened back when wrestling was wrestling. Some very important dates that happened in this week in professional wrestling history, and I'm here to share it with you. Why do you think we're in black and white? Okay, I got to set the stage, set the tone of what we're going through on this historic day where we have a new regime. We're going to go back in time, back when presidents weren't in, uh, inciting insurrection, back when there was people gathered together huddled masses in all 50 states and arenas and coliseums and high school gymnasiums across the country. Back when titles were belts, back when hospitals were hospitals instead of medical facilities, back when you could throw a fireball with your own bare hands. This is the Wrestling Historian. 
some significant things happen on one date, Dan. Uh, first of all, I'm going to go back to January 18th, a couple of birthdays. Uh, a happy 67th birthday to the latest entry into the Nebraska Wrestling Hall of Fame, uh, Mr. Ted DiBiase. Happy 67th birthday. The tax evasion guy. The tax evasion guy. And one of the greatest heels in professional wrestling before he came to the WWF. Before he was a million-dollar man, kids. This man was so hated by wrestling fans throughout the South that he had to hide in the trunk of the local promoter just to get out of the ring safely. He was called before matches in San Houston Coliseum that he was going to be shot Damn. before he got there. Damn. This is how, he, how hated he was. Ted DiBiase was the number one heel in all of professional wrestling before he got to the WWF. Just remember that. There was wrestling before WWF. There was? Yes. And for all those who – and I'm not discounting his work in, as a million-dollar man. He was stellar. I always said, and I will continue to say it, I said it 30 years ago after Andre the Giant won the belt from Hulk Hogan on the main event using a, the twin referees, and he gave – he surrendered the title to Ted DiBiase. They should have kept the belt on DiBiase. He, they did for a weekend because it was taped, and people who didn't see it live had no idea when DiBiase showed up that weekend, one of them placed it right here, right here in Philadelphia for the, at the Spectrum. Wearing the belt, fans went crazy, absolutely apeshit ape with hatred for this man. They should have kept it on him. Toward, through WrestleMania, I would even it it would have helped business still if even if he took it off Savage at some point, even wow. if it was a brief reign. Wow! But um, but that's how over Ted DiBiase was. Um, but happy 67th birthday to him. Uh, sharing that birthday on the same day, happy 52nd birthday to Leviathan. You may also know as Drax, and you may also know as Dave Batista. Happy 52nd birthday to him, uh, one of Jim Cornette's um, creations um, and someone that he didn't get along with but still has a great deal of respect for. You've got to get along with somebody when you're making money. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to be an a-hole. Yes. Craig. No. I know you're talking to me. <laughs> um, another birthday, a uh, very important birthday that uh, happened. Uh, the, we have to go back away. This guy was born in 1894, but he bears uh, mentioning because of his impact on professional wrestling. Uh, January 18th, uh, Toots Mont was born. John Robert Mont. Toots. Friends call him Toots. Uh, Toots in his day was a quite the wrestler in the early 1900s. Uh, back when wrestling wasn't, there was no real organization. Um, but it wasn't until 1919, and he was uh, 25 years old. Uh, he got with Ed Strangler Lewis, who at that time was the biggest wrestling superstar in the world, and uh, his manager Billy Sandow, and they formed their own promotion, so they didn't have to worry about different promoters controlling them. And get this name, Dan. You know what they call themselves? The Goldust Trio? Yes. So that name <laughs> yes! been, that name's been around since before Dustin Rhodes. Dan knew something. Dan did know something. Uh but they were the ones, the Gold Dust Trio. I actually forgot that Tits was part of that. <laughs> yes, he was. But they were the ones that instituted um time limits on professional wrestling. Because back then wrestling would go about two or three hours. Before fall, yeah. So they they instituted time limits. We gotta get this uh, going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they were They were responsible for moving wrestling out of burlesque halls and bars. How dare they? Into actual arenas. I disagree with that. And coliseums. If you remember the movie uh, Sylvester Stallone movie Paradise Alley, his his first directorial debut. Everyone, Sylvester Stallone's first time directing with Paradise Alley. It wasn't Rocky too. It was Paradise Alley, but on that, he was, it was about wrestling in the bower in the Bowery, in Hell's Kitchen, where it was held in bars, 
And great film, by the way. If you're a wrestling fan, see Paradise Alley. If anything, get to see young Ray Stevens and Ted DiBiase and an even younger, better Terry Funk. Awesome film if you're a wrestling fan. But the Tootsman and the Gold Dust Trio took that out, uh, instituted time limits, took wrestling out of the burlesque halls and bars into the arenas, and they made a name for themselves in the Northeast, uh, so much so that they uh, kind of broke away from the NWA, which was the all-encompassing, the one wrestling organization in wrestling at that time in the early 50s, and uh, they staked out in the Northeast, and they called it the Capital Wrestling Corporation, a name that they still use now. Uh, and Tootsman worked with uh, Jess McMahon, Vince McMahon Sr.'s dad, to get Madison Square Garden. Because up till then, Madison Square Garden didn't have wrestling in it for nine years. The uh, local manager of Madison Square Garden hated wrestling. But Toots, along with Jess McMahon, Vince McMahon's grandfather, the father of Vince McMahon Sr., they got wrestling back into Madison Square Garden. And uh, even though they weren't on the best of terms with Lou Fez, the current NWA champion, it was Toots Mont's idea to have Buddy Rogers be their first champion of their organization, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And it was Toots Mont, Dan, who came up with the idea to award the title to Buddy Rogers with a tournament in Rio de Janeiro. So the tournament idea of winning a title in Rio de Janeiro in a tournament came from Tutmont. That same tournament that Pat Patterson won to become the first Intercontinental Champion in Rio de Janeiro, well, that was Tutmont's idea. Uh... And when Buddy Rogers was, because when Buddy Rogers was the NWA champion, Tuss controlled all of his booking and wouldn't allow Rogers to go outside the Northeast. Even though he was the NWA champion, he had to go all around the United States. But Rogers, who was from Jersey, was and wanted to stay in Northeast. And the payoffs in Madison Square Garden and in the Capitol Center in the Northeast were more lucrative to him than going to, say, Texas or going to Georgia or going to Minnesota. So um, that's when Toots got the idea of having Rogers be the Northeast champion only, so he wouldn't have to travel in the NWA. Yeah, I had the idea of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation and putting the belt on Rogers via tournament in Rio de Janeiro. The thing is, they needed to pack the houses still, and Vince McMahon uh, Sr. always saw this really strong kid from Italy as like maybe a mid-carter for two or three years. But it was Tootsman who said, let's build a company around this kid. Seriously. I mean, while you see a, a, a mid-carter for two or three years, I'm seeing someone that can really carry this company way past Buddy Rogers. Because I'm looking at the, the, the makeup of the crowd here. It's very ethnic. And the way they they draw they, the way this kid draws them in. I think we can have a gold mine here. So against Vince McMahon's wishes, Bruno Sammartino was pushed as the next Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion, and uh, that would come to fruition May 17, 1963. Um, Tootsman, who had a great mind for business but was horrible with money, almost <laughs> bankrupted the company many times because of his love of the track. <laughs> uh, he died in 1976 um, at uh, uh, 82 years old. Uh, he was still a, sal- a, a still a salaried employee, kept on by Vince McMahon Sr. because of loyalty to him. But uh, Tootsmont, uh, in no small part, helped create what we now know as the WWE. But he was there at the very beginning. It's very interesting to me to know that, um, and, and a lot of people don't know this, that he was very, very instrumental, as you pointed out, into the golden age and beyond of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And the guy that still gets mentioned to this day, and as you say, he was paid well beyond his years. Mm-hmm. But um, 
it's crazy to know the six degrees of wrestling that WWF and the NWA go way, way back mm-hmm. to Joseph Tutsmont yeah. and the Goldust Trio. That they do. And uh, Toots is And S. Stranger Lewis. And S. Stranger Lewis. Yeah, the great S. Stranger Lewis. <laughs> but, uh, and this comes full circle, kind of, because one of Toots is, the, the guy that Toots wanted to, uh, to, to be the face of the company, to be the franchise, a guy that Vince McMahon Sr. didn't want or didn't see as the future of the company, that man being Bruno San Martino. That same date, Dan, January 18th, 1971, 50 years ago, 50 years ago this week, was the single greatest upset maybe in wrestling history, certainly the greatest upset in wrestling history at the time, because it was at Madison Square Garden, the house that Bruno built, where a 28-year-old Canadian strongman who wrestled as a Russian bear defeated Bruno Sammartino. For the first, last, and only time Bruno's ever been beaten in Madison Square Garden, on January 18, 1971, Ivan Koloff defeated Bruno Sammartino for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. A match that's still talked about, even 50 years later. When they asked both men about that night, Bruno said, I know, when, after it was over, Ivan came off the top rope with the knee to the chest, covered Bruno. Bruno said, I thought something was wrong with my hearing. And I've wrestled Ivan Koloff many times, but I thought he knocked something loose there because I couldn't believe uh, what I was hearing. And he was talking about, Dan, the absolute silence of 19,721 people in Madison Square Garden. He had never heard that sound before. No one had. Ivan Koloff was just as stunned. After he raised his, after the referee raised his hand in victory, the referee Dick Kroll said to Ivan Koloff, "We'll give you the belt in the dressing room. Just walk away right now. I can't give it to you now because there will be a riot." <laughs> Get the out. Yes. Okay. I'm raising my hand of formality, and even that wasn't enough to save Ivan Koloff from getting back to the dressing room because I realized he had won. So he had to fight his way back. And Bruno also recalls leaving the ring. And you have to understand, folks, why this was such a big deal. Bruno Sammartino had been WWF champion for seven and a half years. Straight. That's a record that will never be broken. Mm-mm in professional wrestling, sports entertainment, ever. And seven years on those rings back in the early 70s, late 60s, they had four rings on them. They were boxing rings converted into wrestling rings. Were twice as hard as anything you would feel on a basketball court or a hockey rink. So there was no give. The ropes were incredibly loose. And Bruno... His body was physically shot. And after seven years of wrestling 350, 325 to 350 times a year on those on those mats, and some of them were worse than others, his body was shot and he couldn't take it and he needed a break. So while he was relieved to finally not be champion anymore, the number of people that he saw crying as he left the ring touching him, telling him, Bruno, I'm so sorry, and Bruno, I'm devastated, and just not just men, not moms, kids, crying as Bruno left the ring. So as as good as he felt to have that relief, he immediately felt horrible. So I'm seeing the faces of the fans and the, the letters he got afterwards, the telegrams and the packages, some folks even send him money. Are you going to be okay? They thought that <laughs> that was. They thought that was. That's it. funny to me now. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, you need some money, okay? Everybody's like, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. But he was, he was relieved for the, for the break, and uh, it was Bruno who, who wanted Ivan to, uh, to be champion. And other, there were other 
wrestlers there that Bruno challenged. And obviously Bruno had been going back and had lots of challengers in seven years um, before Ivan Koloff. Uh, Ernie led Bill Watts. They sold that Madison Garden a couple times, uh, Professor Tanaka. But uh, he liked what he saw in Ivan. And Ivan considered himself an unknown. He said, I'd held the Canadian Heavyweight Championship uh, a couple times, but who knew that in the United States? And Bruno and I have always had great matches, but I never saw myself as world champion, and um, I didn't think anyone else did either. But Bruno did. Bruno made the call. Ivan was in shock. Again, he was only 28 years old, only been wrestling for uh, about six years at the time, but he had the look, had the build. He was a Russian bear that made people submit with that bear hug. And uh, Bruno saw he would be a great transitional champion, and that he was. And, you know, didn't hold it long, but the fact that he, still the only man to ever pin Bruno Sammartino in Madison Square Garden, again, the house that Bruno built, the old Madison Square Garden was rickety breaking down, and the amount of crowds that were coming to see Bruno could not accommodate. So they had to, they renovated it, refurbished it, the new Madison Square Garden, and that was because of Bruno, who sold it out more than any other single performer there. Uh, but that all came to an end January 18th, 1971. 50 years ago this week. Uh, brings us to January 19th. 1992, almost 30 years, but 29 years ago. Oh, thanks. 29 years ago yesterday, Dan, uh, Ric Flair finally proved that he is a 60-minute man. Oh, that's right. Or in this case, a 59-minute and 26-second man. Yeah, he's counting. Because, uh, well, apparently the people that Bobby WWF was did, Bobby was yeah. counting, because uh, the Royal Rumble – that year in 1992 in Albany, New York, Ric Flair, the number two man in the ring, number three, I should say, went 59 minutes and 26 seconds. And for the first time, the Royal Rumble winner was declared the WWF heavyweight champion. And that man was Ric Flair. From the number two spot. That was the three spot. Was it the three spot? I can't. Yeah, because I, I saw, just watched it and I'm like, that's right. He comes out as two guys in the ring from the three yeah, spot. Yeah, because one of them was running past him as he went to the ring. Yes. And uh, not only was that the the first time the the uh, Royal Rumble winner was declared the world champion, uh, Ric Flair be, that time became the longest man in a Royal Rumble. It also gave us one of the all time greatest post match interviews in wrestling history. With a terrible eyes. <laughs> this, this is the, is the, greatest, the greatest night of my of life. life. <laughs> yes. Hey, put that cigarette put out. Put that cigarette out. Wait, what? What? <laughs> Fuck you, mean Gene. <laughs> and uh, I, I say this every year now, Dan. It um, still gets me that Rick's the only one that's still alive in that whole entourage. Bobby. Perfect. Oh, my God. Yeah. Gene, all gone. And Ric Flair did it. And the thing that gets me about Flair was him, the acting job. Because Flair had the acting The one that everybody thought he was going to die first. Yes, acting exhausted. And I had to tell folks, even though I was watching it, uh, oh, my God, he's so tired. Uh, Ric Flair had more one-hour matches before he got to the WWF. And he had those matches with some of those guys in the ring. Terry Von Erich. Ted DiBiase, I'm sorry, the Texas Tornado, the Million Dollar Man. Rick Flair had one-hour matches with those guys. He beat already. the Texas Tornado with a backslide. I mean, yeah. he got beaten by a backslide. Backslide. But the one-hour matches he had with Ricky Steamboat, with Harley Race, with Jack Briscoe, with Dory Funk Jr., and like again with um, with Kerry Von Erich, with Ted DiBiase, um, he was very well prepared to go. 59 minutes and 26 seconds. Oh, look, he's tired. Yes. Yeah, but somehow got all the energy in the world to do a post-game interview where he's not even breathing hot. Yeah. 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 But 29 years ago this week, uh, it brings us to today in wrestling history. Uh, I actually um, attended a show 14 years ago today. 
at the uh, old ECW arena with the Pro Wrestling Unplugged show. Oh, God. Um, but uh, one of them was uh, I got to watch my Facebook friend, Primetime Amy Lee, win the PWU Women's Championship from Mercedes Martinez. One of the great NXT women competing right now as we speak. Also important this um, today in professional wrestling history, 2014, Dan, was the very last match for CM Punk. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, wow. I remember that interview he did with Colt. Mm-hmm. I need more money for my flight, Kamana. <laughs> After the... It's an inside joke, folks. Um, Don't ask, I won't answer. (laughs) Um, Sorry, my Twitch control panel is to my... But um, one of the things that stuck out with me is... There's a lot of things I didn't agree with. You know, me, I'm a nobody. Let's just preface that. (laughs) I just want people to know that I'm aware I'm a nobody. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me was, is I, there's a lot I didn't agree with. There's a lot I was like, uh, yeah, Trip, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with him on that. One of the things was, um, the thing where people walk up to him and go, what's up, Phil? And he'd be like, I don't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> who are you talking? What? Get out of here. <laughs> um, yeah, there, fans still need to learn timing and privacy and you know, I don't go up to Sasha Banks and and don't go up to Bailey and go, Hey, what's up, Pamela? Yeah. Uh, Pamela? Is that her name? Yeah. What was uh Sasha Banks name? If Sasha Banks ironically it's Mercedes. It is Mercedes. That's yeah. Uh, well, I was I was gonna say don't say Mercedes. That's the other uh it's the other woman's name. No, that is her name. <laughs> yeah, that is her name. <laughs> I was name. drawing a yeah. blank. I got scared. I was like, don't label. <laughs> uh, don't go up to Steve and go, Mr. Borden. Well, Mr. Borden is probably respectful. Hey, yo, what's yeah. up, Steve? Right. Who wants up to CM Punk go, what's up, Phil? Mm-mm. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? My foot up your ass. Anyway. That's also where I, I say the way that I say that is not my problem. I say it like he did in that interview because it, it quite frankly isn't. No. But uh, his match with uh, Billy Gunn, uh, 2000 on this date in 2014. What's the last match with Billy Gunn? Uh, <laughs> Shit. Never mind. <laughs> And that was the last time CM Punk was ever in a WWE ring. I want to bring it back around to Genesis for a second. Mm-hmm. Take this ride with me, if you would. Of course. Genesis fans who have been begging for Pete to rejoin the band. Pete, who said in the 70s, in the 80s, even after they had that one show they had together, but it was like a charity show because Pete was about to get murdered because he owed people money for starting the Woman Festival. Mm-hmm. Through all of that, Pete has been very clear. Very clear. He doesn't ever want to join Genesis again. Ever. Right. Ever. Mm-hmm. To the point where when Sting and Peter Gabriel, and I'm talking about Gordon Summer, yeah. uh, did that tour together, mm-hmm. they actually perform a Genesis song that Pete specifically didn't leave Sting until the very last show on mm-hmm. the tour. I cannot imagine any more clues this guy would give that he doesn't want to join the band again. Yeah. Cut to CM Punk. Fans still chant his name. Mm-hmm. They'll talk about him. They'll talk shit about him. And still say, you need to come back wrestling pussy. I can't tell you how clear a man has been mm-hmm. that he doesn't want to come back to you. Yeah. Then I have seen CM Punk. And it's just, when I think of CM Punk, I think of Peter Gabriel, and fans are like, it'd be better if Pete, I want to see Pete dress up. You want to see Pete now dress up in a, hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> That's just the parallel to me. I had to explain it because, you know, I keep thinking in my head, I keep hearing Dean go, where are you? You're on another planet. And I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. Um, but that's how my brain works. I always think of that fandom thing where it's like, I want this. And I'm like, they clearly don't. Mm-hmm. You can let it go anytime. CM Punk was so fucking good for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is. Yeah. And uh, I, I echo your Peter Gabriel in Genesis. It's just like Robert Plant and Led Zeppelin. He just he can't say he can't be any more clear that guys I'm done. Really, I I don't know how else to say it. Don't know how much clearer I need to be. Yeah, I'll I'll still record music, I'll still write music, but I'm not playing with Led Zeppelin anymore. That was that was then. And you guys hear about this guy Phil Collins? He just produced my first record. Did really well. Yeah. So I had to shove that in there. Of course. It's just like Phil producing everybody in the eighties. Yeah. Shove it in there. I know. I mean, but, but when yeah, but when you you think of Peter when you see CM Punk, you think of Peter Gabriel. I think of Robert, Robert Plant. Yeah, I think of Robert Plant. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't want to do this. I've said that since 1980. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did the shows in the O2. We're done. Yeah, thank I you. Li- I did Live Aid, and that was it. <laughs> oh, we don't talk about Live Aid. Yeah, for obvious but, reasons. Yeah, but even that. Okay, that wasn't. I'm sure that it definitely wasn't his idea. No, but uh, no, no. I read Phil's book, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that Phil's mentioned because they're buddies. Like they're closer yeah. than I realized. Mm-hmm. And Robert's like, "Yeah, come down. It, it, yeah, come with us. It, it'll be great." And then he gets there, and Robert Plant is completely different. Mm-hmm. He says, "Robert Plant, outside of Led Zeppelin, amazing friend, great guy. He gets yeah. within the band, and he is a miserable person." Yeah. And I'm not going to say what I have to say about the rest of it. But there's a reason why that didn't make the DVD. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he's uh, he's done. Yeah, Sam Punk is done, guys. Yeah. Enjoy what you have. His yeah. listen. If you don't have it, uh, and if you're going to say, and I'm my physical media, you go plane traffic or something. Yeah. Uh, buy the Sam Punk Blu-ray. It's mm-hmm. fan goddamn tastic. Yeah, oh, I actually stuff. Uh, the best one they put out. Yeah. And it covers, it's got matches from before the WWE. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's got his greatest hits of the WWE. It's got extended interviews. It's got the original, it's a great, great, that six hours of your time. Mm-hmm. And fans, uh, I miss him too. Yeah. I want him back too. Yeah. It's, it's not, we, it's not, <laughs> good time right now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but if a, if a guy says he's done, you you got to respect his wishes. I mean, I know what we want, but, you know, that, that's it. It's like I wish more people would take CM Punk's uh, <clears throat> cue when he said he's done and not do it anymore. Undertaker? Flair? Whatever do you mean. When you say you're done, get, be done. Holy. Yeah. And I have always said, I'd rather people say, why did you leave, rather than why didn't you leave. Yeah. I, I have no problem saying to CM Punk, I mean, I, it sucks that you left, rather than you still, you know, going out there to to get a paycheck. But um, his last match, seven years ago today, hard to believe it's been seven years, but um, his last match was on, on this date, 2014. And that is the Wrestling Historian. And you can find me for any and all Wrestling History tidbits on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Legons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me on all the things that Craig just said, all social media platforms, at DanLaw83. HIC Talk Radio. It's on Twitter at HIC Talk Radio. VSDNation.com is the headquarters for all the podcasts. If you're on your smartphone and you need to listen to it on there, podcast that, type in the OC Nation Radio Network and find all the podcasts there. Listen, don't fast forward through the ad. Promise it's not that long. It helps. Or youtube.com slash damnlaw83. And if you're watching on YouTube, come over to Twitch. Come, watch us live. live. It'll be fun. For Craig Lagans, I need above average community, Kyle Chico. We'll see you next week. Yeah.
This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Works, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro, talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls, and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation radio network.